Welcome to Living in the Stacks, the bi-weekly podcast where we curl up with a good book and discuss what we thought of it. Hi, I'm Dexter. And I'm Diana. I'm John. And I'm Melody. We do not have a Max this week. No Max. Sad Max. Um, what's everybody been up to? Life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, today, my daughter had her uh, ballet recital, so that's what I've been doing today. Yay! Nice. Yeah. There um, I found out I, I uh, got got a part in a musical that I tried out for a couple of weeks ago. So yay! We'll have rehearsals for that going on. When this airs, I'll be in the thick of things. So, mm. woohoo! Yay! Congratulations. Well, thank you. Uh, I just spent a week in a Machining 101 course where I kicked ass and took names. Uh, got 100% across the board in the class, which the instructor had never seen before. So Nice. Nice. Congrats. On my way to the bright and glorious career of machining. Woo-woo. Yeah. Hey. Better than being unemployed. Uh, oh, I... I uh, house sat and I had a pupper, an old pupper that I took care of, and Aww. an old fat cat. Yay, pupper. And <laughs> puppers. All animals is good. Animals. I want a puppers. Uh, I do too, but I can't afford one. I have, I have children instead. I have a cat named Twiggy. <laughs> Aw, Twiggy. That's a good cat name. <laughs> Jeez. Unrelated to anything, I saw um, book club earlier today as of as of this recording from for uh, popcorn junkie and uh, Candace Bergen is a federal judge whose cat is named Ginsburg. I love that. <laughs> of course. Nice. Well, on, uh, on on New Girl, someone names their kid Ruth Bader. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. Uh, so, do you want to introduce the book next? Alright, so for this one we read Julie of the Wolves, which I know it's, the, the, the first time I ever read it was in fourth grade, um, so obviously it's more meant towards children, but you know, it was the first book that ever got me to cry, Aww. so we read it, um, <laughs> because I'm all into symbolism and this is my first of this show, so I wanted to wanted it to be a book that meant a lot to me. Aww. And this book meant a lot to me when I was in fourth grade. Um, it, again, it's Julie of the Wolves, and it was written by uh, Jean Craighead George, um, who was the daughter of two, I believe, I think both of her parents were nat- uh, naturalists. Um, so she spent a lot of time, you know, in the outdoors and climbing, like, they, the, the family would camp out in the woods near D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, she would climb trees to study owls and whatnot. Um, she started writing uh, in the third grade. Oh, and wow. And she wrote... Yeah, she wrote over a hundred books. And I think most of them were about animals and nature and, you know, the humans and place among nature and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, this book, Julia the Wolves, was written in 
72. It was not her first book, but it's one of her more well-known books. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of how it came about it was that she had spent some time around this uh, wolf pack, and she noticed that they had a very regulated societal structure and that they communicated very efficiently through their uh, body language and through the different sounds they would make. And that's where she got the inspiration for this book. And then later on, after fans, like like 20 years later, in the early 90s, she wrote two follow-up books. one entitled Julie's Wolfpack and one entitled just Julie. Hmm. Um, but yeah. Uh, all this, the, uh, to add on to that, I know um, this and uh, her other book, um, My Side of the Mountain, are both Newbery Award winners. Mm-hmm. I think they're her only Newbery Award winners, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. Um, I knew about yeah, My Side like of the that. Mountain, but I hadn't known about this one before this podcast I had never heard of it (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is uh, I think Dex mentioned it uh, while uh, while we were in college maybe at some point I don't know no um, Julie the Wolves oh probably Um, but yeah those two seem to be uh, my side of the mountain and Julie the Wolves seem to be her main uh her main books, like the the ones that people know. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there's a 13 part series called the 13 Moons. Wow! All okay. with which are picture books illustrated by various illustrators. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, we should, this is one we may have to come back to and see, depending on if these are like more young children's reading or more like Julie the Wolves, which are young sort of fictional like novels. But uh, yeah, um. yeah. So you, th- th- definitely a very successful book, and they did try to turn it into I mean, a uh, musical. I mean, they did turn it into a musical, and s- the last time anyone heard about the movie adaptation was two thousand eight, because uh, the producer wanted to film it in none of it in Alaska, I believe, or either Alaska or uh, Yukon Territory, but up in the Arctic Circle, and he wanted to find a, an actual Inuit child actor to be the mate to play Julie Hmm. and that was in 2008 and there's nothing been nothing since Hmm. well that's certainly Hmm. the appropriate way to go about this film yeah (laughs) this adaptation (laughs) rather Uh, yeah this would be a horrible one to whitewash oh absolutely there'd be no movie there'd be no story yeah we could cast Emma Stone she's apparently Asian enough oh god (laughs) I'm sorry that movie (laughs) Uh, she's, what was it, Aloha? She's so overrated. Uh, <laughs> that's a different thing. Sorry. Anyway, uh, so I think that's about it. Uh, we'll take a quick break, and then we'll come back for the actual discussion portion. Okay. Or do we want to, I think, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll give our thoughts when we actually get into the discussion. Into every generation, a slayer is born. One girl in all the world, a chosen one, and alongside her are the Watchers. We are the Watchers. 
Once More with Feeling is a 20th anniversary Buffy fancast where we gather and watch episodes of Buffy, discuss them, and release it every Tuesday. Grr. Arg. to the discussion of this and even though it's a short book I think uh, I think there's a lot it, of meat oh, there is quite yeah. a lot of meat for you know 180 page book um, some of it's regurgitated so... <laughs> oh, that's a uh, reference to something in the book what you is. did there <laughs> you, you know there's, I understood that reference. there's a lot of animals I mean have you ever read White Fang um, yeah. I actually never did read Red, White Fang. Uh, I believe I had to do that in eighth grade. I don't remember anything from if it. You, I think I read parts of either that or Call of the Wild. Oh, that's But the I one don't remember did. any of that's it. That's right. What was White Fang about? Because the, the White Fang is basically like the I think the reverse of Call of the Wild. Whereas Call of the Wild was a domestic dog um, le- regaining its roots and going back to the wild. White Fang is about a wolf who befriends a human. Mm-hmm. I think. And, it's, and then he be- becomes somewhat domesticated. Yeah, he kind of becomes this guy's companion um, as he's, like, mining for gold. Oh. So, I was going to say, there was, a, there was a book I read in third grade that was about this sled dog. I don't know. Probably called The Wild. That one was The Sled Dog. Yeah, Maybe. that sounds right. I don't know. Um, this reminded me more so of Hatchet, though. Because I didn't yes. have as much familiarity yes. with Jack London. But I know Hatchet specifically, Gary Paulson mm-hmm. took tried to make a story about a person returning to the wilderness. And whereas uh, Paulson's Hatchet is about this white dude who goes from civilization to becoming the pul- I look I looked into it because apparently there's like five or six sequels mm-hmm. to the book, <laughs> and it's bananas. Like apparently he becomes famous for living in the wilderness for like a year and like is recruited by I think the US military hmm. to do to to research how to survive and it's like really, really? crazy to think about but yeah the the whole hatchet series see get, seems to go way off the rails as he tries to make something out of it but this seemed this seemed a little bit more interesting because you add in the uh the na- the the indigenous people aspect because mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff that this also reminded me bits and pieces tie into a similar uh, themes in the movie Wind River, which was last year or the year before. It was a Jeremy Renner movie where he is a U.S. Uh, fish and game, some kind of uh, U.S. Department some Department of the Interior hunter who goes, who's, who's, you know, tries to prevent poaching and also control animal populations. And he gets recruited to help an FBI agent uh, solve the mis- solve the murder of a woman of an of an indigenous woman on the re- who seemed to have been found dead like miles away uh, from a local I think like oil refine oil uh, drilling site or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting, but it deals a lot with the issues of indigenous people and reservation life. Like there's a whole like there's a whole scene showcasing how some young men basically end up going to prison because that means it's three hots and a cot 
yeah. when there's no guarantee of that on the reservation. It's really, it's really, it's a really harsh look at that. And the only thing I really want to criticize it for is has relying on two white leads. Oh yeah. But that's that's an issue with Hollywood in general. But this, oh, yeah. this that's why I like this one because it fo- focuses so much on a young Inuit woman. And that's a you know that's so and I think that makes it much more interesting than just you know generic white guy uh, Brian whatever his name was from Hatchet. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, words only coherent sentences. <laughs> Lost your train of thought there. Yes, yes, I did. Uh, Even with that, though, I find. Um, the main character, Mayax or Julie, to be relatable in a sense. Because, again, at the time that I was reading this in fourth grade, my parents were going through a divorce, and mm-hmm. I'm trying not to become the edgelord of this episode, but it's probably going to happen. Um, and, you know. My ex is dealing with all this change at home and all this, like, stuff, and she's trying to escape, and, um, not, yeah, and he, she, she's trying to find herself, in a sense. Oh, God, why am I so bad at this? <laughs> you're good. Just, you're just, good. just, you're, just, you're doing just talk to us. Yeah. Just, it's a conversation. It's just a conversation, just a conversation with Mike's. That's. If it'll make you feeling better, we can be like the book club in the movie I just saw and get a bunch of wine, and just get shit faced drunk. Um. But you know, she does. She does. She felt like she didn't really fit. I mean, later on, you you find out why. She ultimately ran away, but which is another thing that I, I, not to, to kind of leap leapfrog from that. Um, for those who haven't read it, I mean, this is this is a content warning for the rest of the discussion. Yes, because this book, for a kids' book especially, it gets pretty heavy. It's it's pretty mature. Yes, um, yeah. but. Uh, what happened to uh, my ex, Julie, uh, which they reveal in flashback, is that uh, essentially her dad kind of goes into some sort, I think, some kind of post-traumatic depression, I want to say. Okay. I think that's the best way to describe it because yeah. he, he, he goes, um, he, has a, he, has a, he has a crisis after my ex's mom dies, and so he takes her to live year round as as an as an indigenous Inuit, mm-hmm. you know, living by that very native lifestyle, not, you know, kind of cut off from the rest of society. And then I guess he, he doesn't specify if it's her mom's sister or her dad's sister. But basically uh, Julie's aunt comes in legally takes uh, charge of Julie so that she can get an education. And then it's a complete, like, terrible person, has no idea how to parent a child. Basically, yeah. And, and so Julie ends up, at 13, being arranged marriage to a 
How old is Daniel? Um, I assumed he was like adult, but I don't. But I know he's not like. I think they said he was twelve. I, I, he wasn't. He was around the same age. Yeah. Okay, so that, that's a little bit better. I assumed it was like he was an older, like young adult, almost like twenties, almost thirties, yeah, maybe. Like, cause she's, I, she's, she's like twelve, twelve-ish. I think my ex is thirteen. Okay. So yeah, I felt like Daniel was probably maybe just like fourteen, fifteen. Maybe. Okay, that that's maybe. a little bit better, but this. It, yeah. I mean, it's still like child marriage. Yeah. It just so happens to be to another child. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, to be to be fair, they do mention in the book that it's like purely a ceremonial right. thing, and most of the marriages get broken up. So it's just it's something that's part of mm-hmm. their culture and as it, well. I yeah. wouldn't say that it's specifically well, the a big, like a big theme in this <laughs> book seems to be kind of the counterpoint between the Inuit culture and the rest, like. Amer- quote unquote American culture. Yes. Um, and it, it, it kind of focuses too on Myak's uh, 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 change in attitude about that. Where when she's growing up, she kind of just accepts that the old ways are just her life and that's how she has to live her life. And she uses the old ways are best to get away from her Aunt Martha when Martha's like, oh, you don't have to do this. But the old ways are best, and Martha's like, oh, well, crap, I've used that against you, so I guess I have to. Oh, yeah, I got I got <laughs> a bunch of notes about how Martha's a hypocrite. Yeah. Like, I don't like you hanging out with that Judith girl. She doesn't respect her parents. Old ways are best, and so, like, she's basically almost trying to alienate Julie from any semblance of happiness she might find. Mm-hmm. Being yeah. torn away from her father after, uh, what was it, like, maybe... Uh, well, her mom died at four, when she was four. Yeah, and then uh, and I think she like got taken five away or six, from... maybe. No, she got taken away from uh, Capuchin at nine, I think. Okay, so yeah, like five years had gone by living with her father as as a as an as a proto colonial indigenous Inuit. And uh, so, so even though the old ways are best, she still takes Julie away to live with her and get a Western education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I said, Martha's a hypocrite. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what Martha's deal was, and I, I get this. I feel like, I feel like if this wasn't about just this wasn't told through my ex's point of view, we might get a better understanding of what exactly Martha's deal is that she feels the need to. Westernize Julie by giving her a Western education, but then continually, you know, hammer in that old ways are the best. The old ways are best. Old ways are best. It's a, it's a means of control. Yes. There you go. It, I mean, the old ways are best. She only ever says it when there's a opportunity to exert her control over Julie. My ex, Julie. It, it, ah, but, yeah, the two names it, thing. Yeah. Exactly. I usually just say I mean, my ex because that's what she ends up yeah, they don't, saying. Despite, yeah. being, d- despite being called Julie of the Wolves, they don't drop her name as Julie until like page 90, like halfway through the book. Yeah, yeah I was a little confused yeah. that at first. It's like, huh? Wait, who's my ex? Wait, what? The, oh, the yeah. book says Julie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a little, I remember being a little thrown off by that the very first time I read it too. But 
I also, I think with, with Martha, um, it's also, it's difficult because without, I mean, I don't, as far as I know, I don't think any of us really identify as indigenous people. I specifically have <laughs> great grandparents that came, that were, that were born coming across the Atlantic from Europe. So I, unless there's something else besides that, mo- my family entirely ties back to like Germany and England and like. Right. Yes. I just mean like I, from an identification yeah. kind of you feel in touch culturally um, because it's it's hard it's easy for us to say it's hypocritical but at the same time the native communities they you know they're constantly going through such um, tensions with mm-hmm. assimilation oh, yeah, especially back versus trying to uphold your own culture so I think sometimes in some aspects, you know, old ways are best, and that's a completely normal thing because that's what you're mm-hmm. in touch with culturally. But then, at the same time, you're hit with all these kind of colonial, well, it's, sort of um, it's a forces. rejection of your heritage to learn to assimilate at all. Um, we see that a lot on television now. There's always that struggle of a child of an immigrant. You know, they become assimilated to their culture, and the parents are freaking out. Like, what are you doing? And so here it's it's being forced upon her, but it's also being used against her. Yeah. Which is... I, I did find that one think... scene sad, like at the very beginning of part two, I think, where she starts talking with these other Inuit girls mm-hmm. and she starts making friends. They've been there longer. Yeah. So they were already kind of assimilated. Mm-hmm. And, she sa- and she drops the, um, what's it? Uh, is- Isod Tide? Inuit Tide? Uh, the little so basically she refers to an Inuit uh, bracelet that was made that she that that's how she familiar that's that that's how she recognized bracelets being and then this girl's like oh no this is just a friendship bracelet and as a means of casting off this older this you know this this native part of her she tosses away this very you know this very important bracelet that was made for her when she lived with her dad mm-hmm. as a means of like all right, if I'm going to assimilate, I have to cast away this part of myself. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it really hit home, like, oh, man, like, you shouldn't have to do that. But yeah. I know that's a, that's a major thing, you know? If you want to fit in, then you can't really stand out. Well, it's just one of those things where it's like you, you where she's living in that moment is in between both. She's not wholly one and she's not wholly another, and that's that struggle. Yeah, I, it's there's so many factors involved with um, like the situation of native peoples. Like, you don't, it. I don't blame like Martha for <laughs> or anyone in the village for specifically assimilating more because you know you kind of have to do what you got to do to make the economy work right. and to, yes. sur- <laughs> to survive. And um, you know, as competition goes into the area, and you know, you gotta adapt to what's around you. So, I I kind of had some. <laughs> it's it's tricky because you wanna just be like, oh well, all these people are horrible because they're they're assimilating, but I think they're just genuinely good people. Yeah. <laughs> they're just, I'm more, you know, trying I don't to make have it any work. issue with like the girls <laughs> so who assimilated. Um, like, like a pair, this is so old that Quonset Hut was their hangout. <laughs> this, that's how old this book is, folks. For those, for those listening at home who don't remember the Quonset Hut, 
We you know we here in Ohio actually used to have a Quonset hut. I I lived down the street from what used to be a Quonset hut until about a decade ago. <laughs> the Quonset hut is basically an old record shop where people could hang out. Although I don't know, they don't capital. She doesn't capitalize the Quonset hut, so I don't know if it's just the ter- a general term for Quonset named Quonset hut like that's a thing. I just know it. Through the the way that she described it and the way and the name, mm-hmm. that's kind of what Quonset Heights used to be. Only I guess this one seemed to allow for like, you know, Coke, uh, Coca Cola, not actual cocaine. Uh, <laughs> although that, like that would be that would have been something. Hey, Julie, want a party? <laughs> uh, That'd be I, mean, I guess it was close to the seventies. Exactly. Yeah. What did they call them? Uh, the the people who come from uh, the lower forty eight. Oh, the, the, um, whatever um, the tourists are called. Contiguous. Gussics, but like the contiguous, <laughs> oh, like that's what whoever you whatever the term was for the people who come from come from the the, the lower forty eight was. It's like, oh yeah, these people these these tourists brought it with them. Want to try it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, it's all and it tie in. It would also tie into the fact that there's a lot of drug uh, addiction and abuse within the community, but mm-hmm. I think, I don't think uh, George had that, wanted to go that deep into it. Yeah. <laughs> We're already talking about sexual assault and abuse. Uh, I don't think we want to add in drug addiction just yet. Yeah. But, like, in all reality, my ex probably would have ended up assimilating as well had she not run away from uh well, had she not run away from where she ended up with, what's his name, Naka and Nusan, and Mar- like, she ended up running away from Daniel because he tried to force himself on mm-hmm. her. Content warning to any listening who, who are yeah, sensitive we, to... That's why I said it at the very thing. beginning, yeah. We're talking about sexual assault and abuse. Yes. Because he'd also, like, physically abused her. Mm-hmm. He... he was angry one day and he came home and his peers had been uh, 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 tormenting him, calling him Dumb Daniel, because it, it's mentioned that he has some developmental Delay. um, delays. It doesn't specify if it's a, a particular condition, just that he is lower, fun- he is lower functioning in some sense. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, Dumb Daniel, he has a wife and he can't mate her and all that, so he tries to force himself on her, and it, it, it doesn't specify whether or not he was <clears throat> successful, but it, in any case, that's why she runs away, and she, um, for a couple years, she had been in contact with this girl from, what was it, San Francisco? San Francisco. San Francisco, which, that was... John can go on and on about how that was really. <laughs> uh, that weird was my way note. Um, yeah, it, it, we should talk about the uh, format of the book because it's actually it's out of it's technically out of order if you mm-hmm. look at it chronologically. Part one starts her off while she is lost uh, and finds the wolf pack in the wild and is living in the wild. Part two flashes back to what led her there, which was her life. Uh, which opens with her mother's death at four when she was four, and then leads all the way up to I believe when Daniel forces himself on her and she ends up leaving to go into the wild, which leads back into part one. Mm. 
Essentially, yes. Um, uh, one twenty-five or so, I think, was the. Uh, oh yeah, about. Yeah, uh, we found it. We got the book right here. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah, part two ends with her back, kind of her back in the wolf pack after uh, after the, all the flashback is done. And then it just continues forward in part three. It's a very interesting layout. And I think, and it made me think if they did end up doing an adaptation, would they follow the format of the book and have her start in the wild and then flash back? Or would they want to do it more chronologically and, ha and, and have her dealing with the stuff in part two first and then ending up in the wild? I think artistically it would work better the way it, it plays out in the book because it plays out like... She's going through all this stuff, and I think the flashback starts after she notices that the wolf pack has moved on. And then this flashback starts, and it focuses very heavily on colors. That's one thing I, I know straight away, is that every sensation in the memory has its own color. Um, and really, part two is the only place where color plays such a key role in the in the storytelling um but you see that in in movies and whatnot too where the main character's going along and he hits a stumbling point and then it goes to how did we get here yeah and then how yeah, do we get out exactly I, I don't I think that would work fine like in media rest has been a thing in movies since their inception I want to say because there's plenty of times where like Another thing, uh, this is the weekend Deadpool 2 came out. Both Deadpool movies starred in media res, where we where we start the movie, part like midway through what's happening, Deadpool flashes back, we get the backstory, and then it's right back, and we continue the story onward. Exactly. So, I mean, I don't see why they, wouldn't, they couldn't do something like that with this. <laughs> you just had to mention Deadpool, didn't you? Well, I mean... It came to mind. It's the first thing that came to mind when uh, I was thinking of in media res, uh, when it uh, uh, in terms of like films that did. Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And my, then, my wife and I literally saw it like an hour and a half before I headed down. Actually, I actually had I a yesterday. I had a note in my notes <laughs> where I was like, I apparently I found it extremely irritating that there was constant in media res while I was reading. Um, I actually ended up reading this one before I read Lamb because of like, yeah. circumstances of trying to get the book. So it's been a little bit for it's me, but short, so, I'm, so I was going through my notes. I'm like, oh, well, apparently I found that very irritating. Like, there's, it, there was a lot of scenes, like, they would just, something would be happening, and then they wait a really long time, and you don't know what's happening. So I, sometimes I feel like, uh, yeah. If there's not proper context, like sometimes it works out, but other times you can't appreciate what's happening uh, without the context. So I kind of, I didn't like, yeah. I didn't like at all that like uh, part one. Like I, I had to, I read like a third of the book and the you know, flashbacking, <laughs> there yeah. wasn't. I have no idea why she's out there. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it... Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of had that feeling too like it's, it's part of the same reason why I avoid watching shows that I used to love as a kid it's because you don't want that nostalgia kind of perfect bubble to burst and you're like oh I love this book <laughs> this book is a piece of crap 
No, this book is not a piece of crap. I am not saying that. However, it is not the same as I remember it. What, in fourth grade, I would have been nine, so 15, 17 years ago. So, (laughs) I, I, I definitely understand where you're coming from. The format can be a little confusing. Yeah, Content I, good, format confusing. Yeah, the, the, that's, not, that's the reason that's not the standard for a lot of stories. It's, it's an artistic uh, license sort of thing that you can do when you're writing long form. But a lot of times, if you're trying to pull it off, then you really need to have a good idea of describing what's happening there. Otherwise, people much, would much rather prefer seeing things happen in chronological order. Mm-hmm. It's the reason why, like, uh, oh, God, who's the director? Who's the guy that always plays with, like, oh, uh, Nolan. Christopher Nolan. Uh, Christopher Nolan, especially uh, when he, in last year's Dunkirk, he screws around with the timeline, and in, and in cases like Memento, it makes sense. But in cases like Dunkirk, it's, it's a weird thing that only makes sense if you know the meta text of a film's format, act structure, and whatnot. Otherwise, it doesn't need to be continually cutting back and forth in time. Like, some things take place a week ago, and some things are taking place five hours ago, and some things are taking place a month ago, and it's like, just tell the damn story. Uh, So, I mean, I I definitely understand where you're coming from, Melody, because in the hands of a bad writer, it can... Uh, or even just in the hands of a decent writer, someone who's not familiar with writing in that style, it can come off as really jarring and unnecessary. Yeah. So another thing that um, I kind of wanted to touch on is kind of like his- historical context in the sense that this was written in the 70s, and there is a lot of reference to... Um, kind of like the American culture of convenience and waste. Um, it's, and that's especially highlighted by the part that had me bawling like a baby the first time I read it. Um, Amarok's death, like that plane coming in and, 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 and just shooting at the wolf pack for the fun of it. And my ex figures they'll, they're at least going to turn around and and, and take proof of the kill back so they can collect the bounty, and they just leave him there. Um, which is ultimately what cements her in her mind that the old ways are best, and she doesn't want to go to, to San Francisco now because San Francisco, and even uh, Max mentions this too, um, that... You know, San Francisco, which is the cultural capital of modern commerce and technology, um, which, in a sense, really kind of embodies that 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 culture of convenience and waste. Um, so, I want to see what everyone's thoughts are on what what do you think that says about like uh, George's thoughts of American culture in the '70s, and how do you think it would be different? if she had written it closer to today. I mean, I know she died like six years ago, but... Um, I do want to, I do think we should uh, uh, let the audience know. Uh, we forgot, to, we kind of skipped over part one because we were going mostly chronologically, but she names all the wolves that I'm she sorry. meets. <laughs> no, you're good. Uh, Amarok is a big, well, alpha 
quote unquote, because alpha is a thing that even the guy who made up the term realized, oh wow, this is, but he's the, he's kind of the, he's kind of the, he, the oldest, the most, the most powerful, the biggest. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, 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 I think it ties into alpha-ism because that was popular at the time. But at the same time, like most wolf pack, even the guy who, who came up with the term realized, oh wait, no, most wolf packs are pretty, pretty like egalitarian. Like this. it's just, you know, the older, exactly. All, all the wolves kind of hold equal footing based on their age and experience mm-hmm. more than anything else. Not just, it's not like a true hierarchy in the sense that he thought it was. He was, uh, he was, he thought, he, he was, he was putting that, um, description on it without realizing what was really going on. It was the only way he could explain it to himself. But uh, that's more in line of like what was going on at the time because around the 70s was about the time that that term came about which I only knew, which I learned thanks to Adam Ruins Everything when he <laughs> talked about alpha males and dating. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, so there's Amarank who is the, which literally just translates to wolf in the, the Inuit language that she uses. Um, Amarok's mate is Silver. Silver. Um, what would be considered his beta, even though we just debunked that, is Nails. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like second in command. The one who's like his his other... Yeah, his like other right ma- paw man. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, then there's... Jello, who becomes ostracized for wanting to... Uh, seemingly wanting to attack Mayax for wanting to for becoming involved with the pack. Yeah, and then there's the there's like the younger younger one. He's like the little. Yeah, there's four four pups, I believe. I or think five. So. I think there's five pups because there's zigzag zig and zigzag. Zag. I think there's zap. Hold on, I should really know this, but there the 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 the, the other. Three. There's, There's um, Napu, who is the one that she most... Kapu, yeah. Kapu, uh, who is the one that's basically... Uh, is basically like the puppy. So he's like, a, he's like an older puppy mm-hmm. who plays around. Uh, we got uh, Pearl. No, Pearl. No, Pearl comes up later. I got character names. Amarok, Kapu... Um, oh yeah, Pearl was one of the, uh, the, the the was the friend in in San Francisco. That's what it was. No, no, <laughs> no that's no. Amy. Uh, Amy. Pearl was, was bad at the, this, the, folks. I've got, I've got a note here where I said Daniel. I can't keep track of the wolf relationships, but I don't care enough. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> It got to a point yeah. where I was like, okay, I, have, I don't know okay. anymore. I would have really liked a wolf family tree. Okay, yeah. I got, I got, I, okay, I got it. Amarok is kind of the de facto leader. He's the one that's biggest and who commands the most respect. Silver is his mate. Nails is the other adult in the pack. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, sister, Zing, Zat, and like Zip. like Battletoads. Are all the pup, are all like the little pups. Well, I think, I think Papu is, is from... A, I think all four of them, or all five of them, are the same litter, but Kapu kind of stands out because he's the next Amarok. Yeah, he's basically the, he's he's the one that was. Plus, Kapu also has like boundless energy, like like a lot of puppies do. Yeah. Um, and then Jello 
who was kind of like um, the very put upon like uh, one who always kind of tried to, whenever he tried to assert himself would get put down by Almarok and the, all the others and eventually sort of became ostracized from the pack. Yeah, and eventually brutally killed for interfering with Mayax's survival. Like he he Mayax kind of follows the pack even though she can't keep up, mm-hmm. but the pack kind of stays close to her because Amarok has essentially adopted her. Um and thrown Jello out. And Jello kind of follows her because he can't really hunt for himself, but he'll raid her whatever um, caches of meat things. And eventually Amarok's had enough and kills Jello because, um, and my ex remembers what her father Capuchin had said that like, the, 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 the weakest one will only be tolerated until he starts to interfere with the pup's survival. And mm-hmm. um, Jello, by stealing Mayax's pack and whatnot, had interfered with her survival, and Amarok was having none of that. So. That's the other thing, too. For the, t- you know, for the most part... Um, what uh, George is pointing out in the book, what how she describes the b- wolf behavior, isn't too far off from what is accepted in uh, most natural uh, and biological circle circles, where you know that sort of theory of wolf uh, pack uh, organization and hierarchies and whatnot. Mm-hmm. For the most part, George kind of gets it. Right, which makes sense because she was hanging out with wolves, and she yeah. got a, got an idea of what exactly they, how exactly they worked. And I, th- I mean, I do think I do like that she instead of inserting like essentially a character of herself, like it's what kind of like how like how Hatchet has like this white guy who just ends up in the woods yeah. uh, and has to survive. Instead of putting like a white girl trying to survive up in the Arctic, it's like no, here's somebody who actually lives here. Right. And I like that she was willing to write about um, something but other he, than my, uh, insert character but, of herself. <laughs> here's my thing, though, is that uh, there's... I had an issue because as soon as I found out, like, I, I kind of in the middle of the book, I had to, like, look up the author and, like, check out what her background is and why exactly she kind of decided to write it. Um, and she really just kind of visited Alaska and studied wolves and then it feels, I, I feel like I can never trust books that are written f- about like native peoples because I unfortunately they're rarely written by the native people. So some of the things that are in here, they almost seem like, yes. uh, like it's fetishizing a little bit. Like I know it's not the intent, but it seems like there's someone going, oh, the Ooh. old ways. Yes, you know. It's it's got this yeah, feel to you it. So gotta take it while well, exactly. it's nice that it's like a, 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 you know an Inuit person, sometimes I feel like it's not a reliable portrayal, or maybe it's over idealized or uh, yeah. overstepping some kind of boundary. I don't know. <laughs> well, the thing that got me yes, was yes. the use of the word Eskimo, which is has in some said, circles yeah. is 
considered a slur because I believe it means like raw meat eater or something like that, which the, 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 um, sorry, got distracted. No, I'm, I'm looking up the, the, the origin of the word while you're talking. Basically, um, uh, this also comes up, not to tie it back too much into movies, but they're my main, um, they're my main compare, point of comparison. But this same thing comes up, came up in the uh, discussion of Moana. Like, is Moana a, a positive, is it, is it a good positive portrayal of Pacific Islanders? You know, there are, there are definitely members of that community who considered it, you know, not, you know, since it's, since it's still coming from Disney and still coming from mainlanders, it's not exactly wholly accurate. They can bring in as many, um, uh, uh, um, consultants as they want. It's still mostly white production ends of yeah. things. It's still white directors, still white, white producers. It's still white people telling you know, they're, they're stories, yeah, I think, essentially. Uh, I, when I, I was researching the word, like, there seems to be a little bit of, uh, like, squabble as to whether it actually means meat eater, or I think it actually, it, it ends up meaning something else, but the main beef with it isn't what it means, necessarily. It's that it was given to, like, I guess it includes all of, like, a, a group of tribes instead of just one specific people. So it kind of generalizes the whole culture. It's kind of like when, you, like the use of the term Oriental. <laughs> yeah. Or Indian. <laughs> right. That's what I was thinking. Indi- like calling all Native Americans Indians instead of you have the Sioux, the Shawnee, the Cherokee, Cherokee, yeah. and all that. Lakota. Yeah. So yeah, they they mainly have beef with it because it was given to them by the people that are kind of colonizing it, their area. So it's kind of It wasn't a label that they chose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fair. Yes. But yeah, Julie definitely uh, or my ex, she definitely uses it with that, another I think person. That's, that, <laughs> like she calls herself that several times and I'm like, mm, th- yeah. that is mainly a thing because <laughs> it was only until like 20 years ago, I think that it, that this so, that we started hearing about this in more of a mainstream context. I don't know how far back it goes within the community. Uh, if you are a member of that community and you wish to, you know, help uh, help us understand it from your point of view, please send in your messages to livinginthestackscast at gmail.com. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think uh, the reason it's used here is because it didn't become a slur until closer to the 21st century. By the 70s, it was just c- common parlance. And it's but this is also the same era that saw an, an Italian man play a Native American on TV to talk about environmentalism. So, I mean, there is, this, is, this is very 70s when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does have that dating. Yeah, so certain aspects don't age as well, but I think what is there has Mm -hmm. good intentions. (laughs) The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Exactly. Um, uh, Yeah, but we haven't really discussed the the third part, because we've talked about the first part. That's mainly her survival and her befriending and acceptance into this pack. Part 
three is where shit hits the fan. Yeah, just a bit. Part three is where everything goes to hell. Because, uh, was it towards the end of part two or within part three that we learn, that she finally learns that, uh, not only, not only is this content warning for you at home, this is now we're heading into spoiler territory because... This whole podcast is a spoiler? True. Just Uh, saying. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, if you haven't read the book, just assume that everyone's read the book. Hopefully, um, and if you haven't, just you know, don't get mad at us because we spoiled the book for you. This 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 podcast is pretty much a constant spoiler warning. We're reading, we're discussing this because we read it. Exactly. Yes, go um, read the book, guys. Anyway, uh, or Cliff Notes. In part two, Martha tells Myax uh, that Capuchin died. Basically, when she was taken in by Martha, Kapujin was drafted into the Vietnam War. And to avoid the draft, he was presumed dead at sea. But when his kayak was found, like, torn apart, I think, or yeah, in pieces. Yeah. Turns out, in part three, it's revealed he survived and has given up the old ways and has become one of those guys that hunts wolves from the plane. Yeah, I think it's implied um, that he could have been one of the uh, pilots on the plane that killed Amarok. Or at least that's the the, the very heavy association that Myax makes. Yeah. Which is why after she finds him and sees... At first she's all like, oh hey, this looks just like our, our, our place back on Seal Island. I'm finally home. And then she's like, it's like walking into a room and seeing all the big aspects. And then you start to see all the little details. She, you know, she saw the radio, the television, the the, the toaster, yeah. I think, was mentioned. And then this white woman comes in and she's like, oh, hell no. <laughs> well, wh- and then, whether or not her dad did, in her heart, he did. So. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So that that that's something I made mention of too, is that is Capuchin's um, transformation kind of the opposite of Myax's? Because Myax goes from, oh, the old ways are there, and you know they're good, but they're not the end all be all. Where Capuchin kind of lived by the old ways, to then Myax um, after. Uh, after Amarok was killed, um, Myax kind of really embraces, like, I can't go to San Francisco because I think the line was, uh, the pink room is painted with your blood or something like that. Um, referring to her pen pal Amy saying that there's a pink guest room that, um, Myax can live in when she comes and visits. Um... So she can't go to San Francisco, which is why she left in the first place. And she doesn't want to go back to where she was with um, uh, uh, Daniel. Daniel. So where does she belong? Where Capuchin kind of goes the other way. He gives up the old ways and embraces um, the, the, the kind of American culture. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I kind of really saw that as like a heavy kind of counterpoint where where they kind of go in opposite directions and they kind of miss each other on the on, on, on the way. Yeah. 
It's also an interesting, uh, interesting idea that she, for for the first two parts, Capuchin is held in this high regard in her mind. She always refers back to his knowledge and to and and like Dex was saying in part two, there's all these brilliant color descriptions of her memories of living with her fa- of her father Capuchin. And when she finally realizes, oh my god, he's still alive, and I can go live with him, and it could be like just how it was, how it used to be. And then she realizes, you're just like all, you know, you're just like all the Gussics. You're just like all these people who you've, you've forgotten. Uh, where was it? The face of your father? Oh, that, that was from freaking Dark Tower. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I don't know why I connected it with some sort of indigenous saying. It was. Freaking Stephen King schlock. <laughs> anyway, um, no, but he he has turned his back on all these things that he taught her and raised her as a as part of who she was, and embraced this part that she sees as very uh, very much like not only counterintuitive to her to their uh, to to the indigenous culture to the Inuit culture, but also kind of dangerous because it's like wasteful and like like with the wolf like the fact that you kill a wolf not to mount it not to show it as a trophy not even to use any part of the wolf in some sort of anything like the fur use the fur to make a coat use the paws to make a, a trinket just hey i shot a wolf from a plane aren't i some aren't, aren't, aren't i something i don't know that's a big thing i didn't know that was a big thing when uh sarah palin came about because her family does that as well and it seems it's a very much I guess even back then it was seen as something rich white people do to take advantage of the great white north. Yeah. Trophy killing. Not not good. Not, <laughs> especially if you don't even use it as a trophy. Right. It's just wasteful killing. Yeah. Killing without a purpose. Yeah, there's there's like with trophy killing in depending on where it is and what it's doing sometimes there's some interesting reasons behind it. I'm not going to go super into it cuz I could like conversation yeah. can last forever <laughs> i'm generally not in support of it like, but yeah. some, sometimes it's like there, there's a weird industry behind it it's it's really interesting oh, to yeah. look more into it but i definitely don't enjoy the idea of it but i guess i'll say that um but like again i'm gonna kind of like say that it's it's hard because our, our kind of our narrator mm-hmm. is julie and she's young yeah she's 13, like 13 is a very young emotional um, time you know that's gonna be it's going to be a very kind of volatile, impulsive time in your life. And I think some some of these issues that she's experiencing could be, uh, like, you know, if, she's taught, if she actually stayed at home yeah, for a little Yeah, she's desperate need of parents. Like, had a, had, a, had a dialogue with her lovely dad and, like, maybe could understand his point of view or... Um, maybe the complexities of the relations why like why this is an industry that they're participating yeah. in <laughs> i mean that wouldn't make good for dramatic emotional <laughs> reading i mean but... play, play, good plays are uh based around just having these discussions and hashing out your differences but yeah it's just it seems so black and white and you know with these kinds of issues it, it, it almost paints him as well, a villain and like He's probably not. He's probably still upholds a lot of the traditions. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, 
as an adult, you have to do what you have to do mm-hmm. to provide for your family, for your like whoever you're taking care of. I guess his wife you now. Think about it though. Um, and you know, she's thirteen. That's a very emotionally like unstable time and she's just been through the trauma of a sexual assault or an attempted attempted rape attempted rape yeah whether it was by her quote-unquote husband or not um she's been lost on the tundra for at this point a couple months at least as long or a month or so at least long enough for the seasons to change Mm -hmm. And they were, like, in the middle of the summer, and then all of a sudden it's dark in winter. So she was out there for a while. And, you know, she went through the trauma of watching her adopted father... Figure, essentially. Father figure mm-hmm. murdered in cold... Like, not... Even saying in cold blood kind of doesn't do it justice because... For sport. It's just... It is for sport. For sport, yeah. yes. And... You know, she's been through a lot of trauma. So, yeah, she's going to kind of lash out almost at anything that triggers that. I would not be surprised if, like, if she were a real person and were to sit down in front of a therapist or that therapist after 10 minutes to say, yes, this child has PTSD. Um... Well, of course, you also have to throw, add, a, I mean, not only the PTSD from the assault and from the law, from that loss of this of this father figure, but also the law, but also the jarring shift from indigenous life to more westernized lifestyle and trying to integrate and assimilate into a, into a culture that is totally alien to her. Plus, living with a um, a, a parent figure that didn't exactly that wasn't exactly prepared to raise her. Yeah. Yeah, she she did not have the most emotionally stable upbringing. She didn't have adults. Yeah, yeah she, mostly she yeah. She had a bunch of monsters to a degree. Yeah. Yeah, like, and I know there's a couple sequels to this book, and I I, I kind of want like the next step to be like, and then after she walks away. The dad notices well, she's not there and then leaves and goes and finds her. And actually, the, the, the very <laughs> last line of the about... book is Julie pointed her boots towards Capuchin. Yeah. Now, at that point, is she realizing that, you know, maybe she judged her father too harshly and is going back? Or she names uh, uh, the young wolf, Capu, after, after Capuchin. So, is she calling him by his full name even though she's only ever called him Capu. It kind of leaves it very much up in the air, which is probably why fans pestered uh, George for years to write. Apparently, I'm looking at the uh, wiki page for the sequel, the first sequel, Julie, um, which was from 1994. Apparently, her son, Craig, uh, moved up to Barrow, Alaska, where a lot of this took place. And he befriended a lot of the indigenous people there, and she was inspired from talking, visiting him there and talking with his indigenous friends to continue the story. And so um, it still deals with uh, Capuchin. He's, uh, apparently he's still part of this. Uh, it, uh, Capuchin the Hunter, Amy the Wolf Pup, and Mayax the Young Woman. So apparently it, it picks up a couple of years later, so she's an older teenager, I think. Um, 
Old way, most upsetting is willing when we shoot wolves. Uh, Return to the wolf pack. What is this? A new cub whom she names Amy after a pen pal in San Francisco. Julie learns to reconcile the old ways with the new while struggling to protect her wolf pack. So these future sequels, these two sequels that she wrote in the 90s deal with her emotion, becoming more emotionally mature and realizing that the new ways aren't terrible, but there needs to be a... A balance. A coming together, a balance yeah. between what works with the old ways and what works with the new ways and to make something that works with both ways. And then the third book, apparently, just solely about the wolves. So that might be fun. I don't know. I th- we'll have to come back to this at some point. Maybe maybe see uh, My Side of the Mountain. Yeah, My Side of the Mountain would be good. Hmm. Yeah, I liked it. Um, oh, um, do you have Max's thoughts with you? Yes, I do. I was just looking through to see what would be the most pertinent right now. Um, yeah, they say uh, even at the end, she sees how civilization has changed her idol, her father... And remembers how it was a civil it was civilization that killed Amarok. She contemplates returning to the tundra. It's really sad to see her realize that her way of life can't stand up to the power of progress. Hmm. Ooh, that's a nice yeah yeah. That's an interesting way of of of, of imagining. Yeah, because that's a whole that's a whole other thing. Whenever they try to talk about um, colonialism and how these cultures have to try and adjust to it. I know, um, I keep tying back into movies because that's, that's... <laughs> that's your thing, dude. Um, The Mission from the 90s, uh, the one with Robert De Niro and where he is trying to help protect this indigenous mission in South America from coloni- from the uh, conquistadors who are going to, just, to like burn it to the ground. And it's like this, it's, it, it's, it's, I remember watching it in high school and it deals a lot with the fact that these indigenous people, you have part of them being uh, shaped by the mission itself, by Christ, by this more this more peaceful Christianity that wants to work with their community, and then the more violent colonial aspect that wants to destroy their way of life to make way for the Western way of life. And whenever you, I mean, it's always it's always crazy to think about that sort of idea of these people who have lived lived their own life for so long for everything to be upended by an outside force and how they have to learn to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Apparently, fun fact, complete squirrel. Mm-hmm. Not that, yeah. Um, this, According to Max, black fur in species like foxes and wolves usually means that a domestication gene is present. Wolf dogs and wolf dogs that breed back into wolf population, for example, usually have black fur mixed in with their normal coloring. Regard, uh, pointing, uh, pointing out, of course, that Amarok and Kapu are both black. So that means at some point within that wolf's genealogy... It's possible that s- somewhere there was a wolf dog that either got loose or something, which... It happens. It, it, it happens. It's interesting to see that, like, the the, the possibility that um, there, there 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 could have been that kind of human influence on the wolf's genealogy, and why Amarok is so willing to bring in Mayats as part of the pack. Yeah. 
Yeah, makes me wonder though if the author is yeah, aware of that enough not. to make that a thing. Well, <laughs> if the wolves that she had spent time around were, say, on a reservation or on some sort of like a, a, a nature preserve, then it's possible that they would have had that um, that domestication gene, and that she just didn't know it and figured, oh, once in a while a wolf is black. That's gonna play out cool in my book. That would be interesting, though, because I did find Julie's, or me, whatever we're calling her, or my ex, I found her uh, interactions with the wolves highly improbable. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. a, lot of, a lot of things like, oh, I'm just going to go up and bite this wolf on the nose. I'm sure it'll be fine. Like, I know there's a little bit of suspension of disbelief because it's a kid's book. But yeah, it would have been a very short kid's book I don't if it know. was just, uh, I... my ex tries to go up and imitate the wolves. It would be like a pamphlet, really. And then she gets mauled and torn apart. Like, and... it's not, it's less the idea of, like, I could see maybe the wolves, like, get into nowhere and stuff, but how easily she was able to, like, read the wolf language and, I think like, it... I think there was, I had a note over, like, she like the wolf smiled and then she smiled like the wolf did and I'm like but you did it you know? I think that's a, the <laughs> like, main thing is that she's like... reading a lot into based on what her father Coppogen taught her <laughs> so she's using what Coppogen yeah. taught her which is more traditional Inuit um, mythology and, and lore to influence how she interacts with the wolves, and hey, if if she if she survived, then something something was working. Yeah, I mean, there have been documented um, instances of a young child, like I'm talking, like you know, three to five that range, being oh yeah, uh, 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 kind of cared for by. Um, wolf packs. Now, whether those are completely wild out in God knows where wolf packs, or say somewhere in a nature preserve that might have had some sort of inter- uh, previous interaction with humans. But it, 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 the suspension of belief is not. It's definitely there, but it's not like. It's not like we're talking Pokemon here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're not talking about. Yeah. We're not talking just, about Jungle Book or Tarzan, being, where oh it's like. God. All of a sudden, oh, these animals are super highly intelligent. They're uh, on the same footing as, as humans uh, emotionally and intellectually. And they raise this child like it's one of their are you own. Are shitting me? They're higher than humans. Yeah, with, with her True. being as old yeah, as she is, I just, it was hard imagining like a yeah. wolf taking her in. And like, especially, it'd be one thing if the, like she had done something a lot with them originally, which uh, it's been a while since I've read it. I don't think she performed some large <laughs> I think she, I think she was just kind of around, and they were around, and then they kind of courted each other. And kind of, yeah. But at the same time, though, it would have been a lot harder to believe that a seven-year-old had managed to last a week in the tundra before running into these wolves. Mm-hmm. So you kind of got to weigh which disbelief is going to be. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm not saying put a put a younger right. child in the wild <laughs> at all. I just it was it was something that it interfered with my enjoyment of the book because I was just like no, no. 
I'm, I'm a bad adult. I can't I can't go back to my childlike it's imagination. Of which is, again, which is why I was like, uh, I think I shouldn't have picked this. No, honest, we haven't had a bad book no, so no, far no. in this. No. I mean, we've had criticisms, but at the same time, like, none of us have said not to read the book we read. Yeah, like, don't, definitely don't feel bad. It's just, you know, I, I read it. I wasn't, I didn't find it awful. It's just, it's something that is hard for, for me, never having read it and coming at it from a almost 30-year-old yeah, woman reading it. And <laughs> it, it's, it was, and plus, and, and straight up confession time here, I don't, I'm not like a big animal story oh, person. Yeah. So I... I kind of, <laughs> and then and then like, I don't know, dogs and wolves and stuff. I'm not necessarily person. into them. Or I know a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely a cat person, for sure. But I'm just I've never been real into super animal focused stories. So it was. I think it would definitely make a good Disney movie. <laughs> You're not <laughs> wrong. I could, it. I could absolutely and without see the rape a Disney and stuff. Have to, as long as they don't try to make the wolves. Sing yeah. and give Kapu make Kapu like be played by like uh, Eddie Murphy mm-hmm. or something. She could have her little hour yeah. side. That's right. We forgot to mention the other thing because no. on top like, of uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I wrote a I wrote a note here. I'm like, this would be a great Disney movie. Mm-hmm. Owl sidekick, Talk, wolf talking wolves, several talking wolves. <laughs> um, girl runs. Uh, they all uh, that we could kind of like get away from the husband rape thing by oh arrange marriage. I'm not doing that. Run away. Yeah, kind of. I think it would be interesting. Maybe not. Yeah, maybe then, not include the actual assault. Of course not. But imply that he's abusive, if nothing else, yeah. to give her incentive. It to like, he's not a nice dude. To, like a fight. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, yeah. 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 We, uh, so, yeah. But yeah, the last thing I would add is not. Not only did Amarok. We forgot to mention that not only did Amarok die, but well, we also had goofy uh, little bird thing. Some she befriended a little bird named like. Uh, tie something? Mm-hmm. Try? Uh, it, was, it was some <laughs> little birdie thing. And so not only did was Amarok killed by one of these uh, jaguars. Yeah. Um, tornate. Tornate. Uh, basic, but yeah, not only is Amarok killed by one of these jagoffs in a plane, Tornate is just blasted out of nowhere and not doesn't serve any purpose but to say like, oh yeah, shot him! Did you see that, guys? No, he doesn't get shot. He, just, he gets sick and dies. Is that it? Yeah, basically. Oh, I missed, I forgot it. But basically, yeah, she loses all these animal friends, and she's like, well, what the fuck am I going to do now? Yeah, Tornate didn't really, didn't really serve much purpose. He was just there. He was cute, but he didn't really... This, the stupid little coat of feathers was a little bit ridiculous. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so... Let's go. Let's go. Final thoughts. Okay. Uh, I mean, my final thoughts are: it's it, it. It doesn't feel the same as when I read it as a child, but I'm no longer a child, so you know, I am now a cynical twenty-six-year-old. Um, overly cynical for twenty-six, some would say. <laughs> um, but I probably. I might pick it up again at some point, but I I don't want to ruin that nostalgia factor. That's fair. <laughs> Overall, though, it is it, it it's 
it makes you question um, the American culture. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 in no uncertain terms, it, you cannot deny that the American culture in some ways is quite wasteful. And it, 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 it makes you think, which I am never going to, to, to speak ill. Well, I, might, I won't say never, mm-hmm. but books are supposed to make you think. Fair. So, who's next? I guess that's me. Um, I, uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed having a young female protagonist as our, as our narrator. Um, and I really, I think the thing that stuck out to me is that despite her confusion and her, her trying to figure out, you know, which world does she belong in? She's very resilient. Um, and, and Mm -hmm. I really identified with that. Um, so I, I enjoyed that. Um, I'm, I'm a, I'm a wee bit older than y'all. Uh, so for me, I kind of think about my daughter a little bit and how she might handle some of this because she's she's a little spitfire, but I mean, she's, I don't know. I, I'd hope she'd be as resilient as my ex, Julie, would be. Uh, so so give, that gives me a lot of food for thought. Well, would you read it again? And would you recommend other people read it? Uh, I would read it again. Uh, I, I think I would have to get uh, a little background on the person before I would recommend it because it's got some content warning issues. I, I think that would be my caveat. Right. Fair enough. Uh, I, 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 I think this is very much in line with a lot of Newberry. I know the Newberry Award specifically likes to deal with these kinds of stories, things about namely teenagers and uh, adolescents and coming of age. And it's always willing to acknowledge uh, these kind of stories where it at, at, where one where a teenager has to come to terms with the realities of adulthood. And I can see why they wanted to acknowledge this book because of that, because it's very much in line with what they look for in their uh, winners. But um, I I do think it's definitely a product of its era. There's a lot of stuff from the '70s that kind of bleeds through. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Melody brought up, the kind of you're not quite sure if it's a reverence towards Inuit culture or more of a like a fat like a fetishization of it. It's you're, it's it's hard to tell sometimes, and especially because it's using more arcane uh, terminology and that that has since got, come out of favor. That then I, I feel like a, a, a an updated version where it, it where it removes the t- the term Eskimo might be in order. Maybe there are, but uh, for but for you know those are more um, superficial, ultimately uh, critiques. The story in and of itself is a de- is a solid story, mm-hmm. and if you're up for something that's not your usual young adult fare that deals a lot with um, a lot of the issues facing indigenous cultures from an outsider's point of view, clearly, but at least is willing to acknowledge some of those things and also deals with the, a lot of environmental issues. Uh, and, and, and it's just a, an all-around uh, heartwarming at, at points and then heartbreaking mm. towards the end. Uh, I would say, check it out. I, I might 
check it. I might try to reread it uh, if I if uh, if I try to if I want to go further into the series. Mm-hmm. But uh, for right now, I probably won't pick it up again. Uh, but I didn't I didn't I, you know I didn't have a bad time either. It's definitely not one of those that uh, that 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 has that happy ending sort of thing, which is refreshing in some ways. <laughs> All right, so I'm am coming in here hot with the uh, <laughs> the differing opinion. I I just couldn't get into it. I didn't <laughs> I didn't really enjoy it much no at all. Um, it was hard because the first third of it was so full of like narrating what wolves are doing, and I'm just so not into that that it it was difficult for me to care about the wolves or care about the girl and then when I got far enough I just was so detached from <laughs> the experience that I'm like okay well I don't that's probably <laughs> it's probably just a me problem I won an award so it's obviously a good book but <laughs> um plus I, t- I think now like where I am in my life I tend to look for um more um poetic type like a a poetic prose if that makes sense where there's like um kind of like margaret atwood where there's just a little more something something to the writing so reading a book for an age group that's um so significantly different from me i think also affects um how i experienced it plus there's all those weird cultural issues that i mentioned um would i read it again (laughs) no um, would I recommend it to someone? I could see myself recommending it to someone if I knew that they were really into, like, animal stories. So, you know, like, you'll you'll get friends that might be, are into, like, <laughs> furries, or... It doesn't go that uh, far. <laughs> oh my. I'm not saying, that, not saying, no, 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 but no, for real. I'm not saying it's a furry book, but people who are into that tend to, like, really identify with animal stories, and I think someone like that would enjoy it, and I do have friends that are into that, so um, I might recommend it to one of those people. Um, or just people who just love animals in general. Um, otherwise, I thought there was just, it was too much animal action for, for well, me, so I, I can't see myself recommending it I too mean, much. this podcast would not be all that interesting if we all had the same opinion. So, <laughs> we all honestly, it. It I'm <laughs> thrilled that you had a different opinion. <laughs> Because that's the that's the yeah. point of this shit. Yeah, I think this is our first one where we have like a mm. super different yeah. opinion. And then did Max say yeah. uh, what they would? No, they didn't. Unfortunately. Um, uh, for shame, Max. For shame. For shame. Um, uh, <laughs> I'd assume based on what uh, Max was saying in their uh, in their in what in they wrote that. I was. I would assume that they're pro- that they probably wouldn't be too out of line with with the rest of us unless they're unless they left something out. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to assume that uh, Max liked it enough, had some had a lot of the same issues we had, and but would probably recommend it again. Not sure if they would read it. We'll ask them uh, next time we're out. Yeah. To. Oh yeah, you know what? I have to add. The other thing that got me weird is the <laughs> the stuff like. 
Uh, I think when she got sprayed on, they called it wolf ambrosia, <laughs> and there's just some weird descriptions, Great. like she ends up, like, sucking milk, like, nursing off of a wolf, I mean, and eating regurgitated meat from you a know, wolf. I don't know. Desperate times. Too much for desperate me. times like, no, call for desperate measures. <laughs> Drastic times call I, for wolves. Yeah, it's like a grape Drastic measures. Yes, yes. Who said that? Well, that was a local guy. That was from down in Canton. <laughs> I just wrote, I wrote that down. I'm like, wolf ambrosia, what? So, yeah, that, that was just my little thing I just remembered there. Yeah, it did, um, yeah, it's a little weird, but. It would be remiss if we didn't mention yeah, any it's... of that stuff oh, yeah. before the end. Um, the main character gets pissed on and is happy. And also tries to nurse a Ew. wolf to survive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Desperate times, that's all I can say. Oh, and the, the wolf milk apparently tastes buttery, and I want to know if Jean Craighead George had sampled a little something-something to get that description. <laughs> Where she's just going off a of first-hand test, or some, like, second-hand testimony. I hear a lot of that, though, but I hear, like, yak and ox milk <laughs> is kind of buttery. And I think it's just more wild like, milk is less, well, less pasteurized. Also got a different fat content. straight out the cow would be pretty buttery. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, like, people milk isn't, as far as I know, I don't think I've ever heard it described as uh, well, If you look so. at it after it's been refrigerated, it looks pretty buttery. Sorry, I used to work with kids and... <laughs> I guess uh, it's not it's, salted butter. Uh, Maybe that's uh, fine. Okay, I feel like I can add some... In- it's more of a sweet <laughs> content. <laughs> I've got two it. children, I know. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways, Anyways. Next no, it's fine. Yeah, Diana, what are we talking about next time? <laughs> no. I... Next time we'll have a uh, different animal milk oh taste God. test. And, oh, God. Uh... Uh, no. Wow. Living in the stacks tries various animal milk. We need an adult. Oh, God. We need an adult. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Aren't you the oldest in this little power house? Sadly, yes. Yes. So, therefore, you should be the most adultiest? No! I need, a, no I need an adultier adult. Oh, we're screwed. Yes, you need to keep my 30-year-old self in line. Please. Uh, anyway, <laughs> let's, let's, let's stop with this nonsense. <laughs> Diana, what are we, we going to be reading for next uh, time? Next week, we're going to do another young adult book. But it's a, a, <laughs> it, it is a slightly uh, more uptone story. And we're going to do we're going to do the Looking Glass Wars by Frank Bedore, uh, which is and it's a uh, interesting take on the Alice in Wonderland story. So if you enjoy that, it's basically Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland, but with probably better writing. No, from what I assume. No, is it is it more, is it worse than that? Uh, it is quite. No, dark. this is dark but good. Oh yeah! Oh no! It's a good uh, dark. Hey, let's let's start with optimism. Don't put these uh, evil thoughts in my we head. We said dark, be bad, but or good. else I'm gonna come with That's a why I said scathing Tim review next. Alice in Wonderland, but with better writing. No. Eh. Yeah, oh. that yeah, that <laughs> cut, out. cut out. I guess. No, I'm just gonna <laughs> pretend the Tim Burton one doesn't exist. Because it shouldn't. Yeah. That was just that was just too far. Hey, Hot Topic needed more memorabilia to sell to goth Bar, kids. Hot Topic. Bar. <laughs> uh. I did buy a Sephora palette. From the uh, yeah, <laughs> I bought a I bought a Riverdale makeup palette. So there you go. Uh, all right, let's. So that will be next time. We'll be reading 
the uh, first entry into the Looking Glass Wars series, and and, um, and so I think with that all in mind, let's get into the plugs. Uh, we have all of our social media set up, so hopefully by the time you hear this, we should it, you should be able to follow us on your various social media platforms. Uh, we've got facebook.com slash living in the stacks tw- on Twitter at in the stacks cast it on Instagram at living in the stacks and we're on Tumblr uh, with the username living in the stacks podcast. I have no idea if any of us will be using the Tumblr page. It'd be fun to have like different memes and stuff yeah. pertaining to the books we True. read. True. True. I, I, I don't use Tumblr though. I just wanted to make sure we got it cover all of our bases yes. yeah exactly uh <laughs> so hopefully by the time you're either hear this that should be up and running uh then uh, the other one we wanted to thank for right now is dream states who wrote who uh wrote our theme music that you're hearing right mm-hmm. now uh, you can check out their uh music over on spotify itunes youtube and anywhere else the music is streamed you can check out their debut album, uh, Dream States, all one word, capital D, capital uh, S in, at the beginning of States. And uh, their debut album is Parts 1 and 2. And from what I hear, because uh, I follow Maggie, M- Maggie, Maddie, <laughs> I don't know where Maggie came from. I follow, Ma- because I follow Maddie, uh, she'll often talk about how, oh, we're going to start working on such and such song. So it seems like, there's going to be a new album in the works, uh, and when they have that, we'll be sure to plug that too. But if you like our theme song and you want to hear more of them, check, look for Dream States, all one word, and you should see uh, the album art is one half of Maddie's face and the other half is Natalie's face, and it's parts one and two. So go check them out. They're fun. And then, uh, since I did all the plugging for us, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys do the plugging for yourselves, for your other stuff. Okay, I guess that's me again. <laughs> We're going in our order, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you can find Diana at Modcaster on Twitter, and then you can also find me on the iTunes. Currently, I am working on Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, which is a, a movie podcast. And then, of course, the, my little, the whole reason your mod cast is because you do the show Macintosh and Mod, which is about... Uh, my Little Pony. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm not the adultiest adult here. <laughs> my wife and I are thinking about starting a podcast. We just haven't figured out what yet. Ooh. Fun, fun, fun. If anybody has any ideas, uh, my wife fun. and I are both transgender individuals. Obviously, I am... Uh, FTM, my wife is MTF. We're looking to tie that in, but we have no idea what to do. So, any ideas, hit me up. Or if you're all, uh, or you know, if you're another member of the LGBT community that would like yes, to, yes, what would you like to hear? Exactly, what would you like out of a podcast? Would you like something more comedic, like maybe talking about the frustration, like airing of the grievances of sorts oh of my living? God, <laughs> we could do like an entire twenty-four hour podcast. Uh, so yeah, send all that to um, Living in the Stacks uh, uh, cast at gmail.com and um, Melody, do you have anything else? Yeah. Um, 
I have a little something in the works. I have no idea when this would come out, but my husband is British, and so we plan on doing some kind of British-American oh, nice. culture exchange Woo! podcast Sometimes in the future. Cool so I'll keep people updated about that. And then, until then, you can just follow me on Twitter at at Minikui, which is at M-I-N-I-K-U-I. And I don't think Max has anything. I think Max has stuff in the works, but they no. don't have anything out right now. I am all over Gummy Cat Networks as um, my main thing, Popcorn Junkie, my weekly movie review and discussion podcast. Uh, I don't know what you'll, what will be discussing uh, as when this by the time this comes out, but uh, this is the weekend of Deadpool Two Book Club and Show Dogs from the director of Beverly Hills Chihuahua. Oh my god! Yeah, fun <laughs> times to be had, um, and then. Uh, I, those are the big ones right now. Uh, I'm hoping to get some other stuff back up and running. I really want to get Tragic Missile back up and running, but you, uh, which is our D&D podcast. But in the meantime, check out all of our other fine programming. Art I Swear, um, uh, The Family Business, which is about super supernatural. I almost said superstitious, but there's not. that's a, that's a song by uh, Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. Um uh, Once More With Feeling, which is about Buffy, uh, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, which is about horror movies and horror horror as a genre, and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, and if you yourself have a podcast and would like to join our network, uh, send send your messages to Networks, I believe, at gmail.com. Uh, and if, you know, there are ways of contacting us. Uh, but basically, if, if, if you like what we do, be sure to share it with all your friends and family. And if you have your own like ideas for books and your own thoughts that you would like to share, send all of that to livinginthestackscast at gmail.com. I believe I want to get that right. I need to get that right because that's very important. Livinginthestackscast at gmail.com, yes. And uh, I think that about does it. All right. Uh, until next time, you'll find us living in the stacks. See ya. Bye. Bye.